Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. Hey, once again, I'm super glad that you guys are still with us. Hey, you have no excuse for not having your Bible this morning because you are at home and you can run and go get it. So I'm going to give you just a second to go do that. Uh, 1001. Okay, good. Great. Hey, uh, just a couple of things. Uh, we've been going through a sermon series called Reunion and Redemption through the life of Joseph for, for actually a couple weeks now, and this is the third week, and uh, we've been slowly going through the process of Joseph's life and how uh, there is an element of how Jesus is, that Joseph's life uh, very much kind of examples Jesus' life of bringing all of humanity uh, to a saving knowledge of God. And so uh, as we do that, uh, every week we look at, hey, Joseph's life, and then we look at how Jesus is the ultimate redeemer for us. And, and then we move on to looking kind of at where are we in our own life. And so once again, I, I want to remind us of the definitions of reunion and redemption. And the, the very first definition of reunion is this. It is it's the act or process of being brought together again as a unified whole. That's the whole point of reunion is coming back and being made whole once again. And redemption is the action of saving or being saved from sin, from error, or from evil. And the whole point is that we have to have a redeemer. We need to be saved. And we're going to be looking at that through uh, this scripture today of Genesis chapter 40, and we're going to read the whole entire chapter together, but it just continues to remind us that as we look at the Easter season, we need Christ more and more, and we need to be, have reunion not only with him, but with others. And so let's read uh, Genesis chapter 40 together, and we're going to read the whole entire chapter, 23 verses. Here we go. Sometime later, Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended the royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in prison where Joseph was, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They, remind, they remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph. He looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they were both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dreams, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom. And soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took the clusters of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, the Pharaoh, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please remember me, and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so that he might let me out of this place. 
For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given this first dream, which applies when the uh, let's start that over. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream as well. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastries stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh. But the birds came and ate them from the basket in my head, on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph told him. The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impel your head on a pole. Then birds will come and pack, peck away at your flesh. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for his officials and staff. He, sum, he summons his chief cupbearers and chief baker and join, to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh the, his cup. But Pharaoh impelled the chief baker, just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Would you pray with me? I got in the time of not being together. It's interesting how this section of scripture is still with us. Lord, I know that you have a plan for where we're headed in the Bible and for what's going on in the world around us. And, and would we look this morning into our hearts that you are preparing to mold us and guide us and direct us. And Lord, as we enter into your word, would we listen to your Holy Spirit? Would you guide and direct us? Would we be open to your teachings this morning and would we just really seek out what you have for us? In your holy name I pray, amen. See, I'm really glad that we're on this piece of scripture today because there are some of you that might feel like you're in prison now. Uh, for two weeks you might feel like, man, I have to stay home or I can't do all the things I normally do. But I think in this moment we learn a lot of things from Joseph. But what happens with dreams? Do you think that maybe in this time he's thinking, I should have never told my brother's dreams? In fact, actually, while I was thinking about dreams, I thought about two incredible dreams that um, I grew up with when I, I was younger. And I, I have this thing where I'll dream for like a month at a time, and then I'll have that dream maybe every other day, and then I won't dream it for a really long time. And so I remember two dreams from when I was little. The first dream was when I uh, was maybe, I had to have been six years old, but I used to, I've told you guys this before, I used to watch a show called He-Man, and we had all the little figurines and the monster figurines, and so I would set all those figurines up on my bed uh, post 
Christ in the mornings when I, uh, or at night before I'd go to bed for some reason, I don't know, but then I'd have this reoccurring dream that as I was laying, these monsters would just start walking towards me, like super slow, right? And so like I, for some reason, Star Wars was also in my dream, and He-Man and Star Wars are from, anyway, it doesn't matter. But I would take this little taser gun, and I would shoot them, and it would like reset them back to the post, but then they'd keep on walking, and as soon as I would just get exhausted of that, I would wake up. And then I would get a drink of water or do something that as soon as I went back to sleep, those monsters would come walking towards me. I have no clue what that means, but it's a dream that still sticks with me to this day. And another dream that I really loved because I was, um, I thought of myself as really amazing on this, but what happened was is um, this, my mom was the secretary of uh, my elementary school growing up, and so we would leave the elementary school in my dream, and we would hop into my 1985 Chevy Suburban, and as you know, those are really quite long vehicles, and so I'd hop in the front seat with my mom, and all of a sudden, every time I would do this, and this dream literally happened for days on end, and then about once a month for a year after these dreams, it happened for like two weeks, but what happened is these two ninjas like dressed in like all black would pop up out of the back, right? And so they would pop up and they'd be like, hiya! And then all of a sudden I would just go, oh, and I'd get really scared. But then all of a sudden I'd just like chop them like right out as I was coming back and it would like just throw them out of the vehicle and my mom would drive away. And then the dream literally would start over again where my mom and I would walk outside and I would wake up just in a panic and sweating. I don't know why those dreams ever happened, but later on, we know that dreams are important because my dad would usually always say, he'd say, hey, if you want to ask God a question and you want to know maybe uh, how God wants you to, to react to things, sometimes he speaks to you in dreams. Sometimes he speaks in an audible voice and always speaks through his word. And so my dad, when I was in college, um, had a job as a wholesale plumbing uh, business guy, and he was feeling like God was asking him to leave his job. And so he just said, hey, God, I, I need you to uh, show me what you'd like me to do through your word and through me talking to other people. And um, he said the night that he knew that God was most talking to him is he had a dream that he was walking through his office, and all that could come out of his mouth was not in business not in business, not in business. And that's when I was probably about 21 years old or, or somewhere around in there that my dad started becoming a pastor. Dreams also get fulfilled. We were talking about this in, my, in our family, and this happened three years ago. It was, it was, it was quite interesting. But my son, uh, I, I was at church one morning, in fact, actually getting ready for Sunday, and uh, I get this phone call from my wife that she wasn't feeling very good at all, and she said, hey, you really need to come home. Uh, you, you, you need to help me with the kids before church starts. And so I went racing home, and uh, Noah uh, I'm sorry, Noah, I told you I wouldn't use your name, but I'm going to use you anyway. Uh, but uh, Noah said, I don't know what happened, Dad. I just dreamt that I was, that I, I just dreamt that I was puking. And so literally he said, I woke up and I, and I looked over and literally from his bed, he had just puked all over the floor and he just dreamt that. And so I'm just like, how, how do dreams in one instance like sometimes become reality <laughs> And sometimes also dreams are just, just not much at all. But it seems like through the life of Joseph, 
that dreams make a really important statement in his life from telling his brothers that, hey, I'm going to be your leader to then several years later going, wait a second, I'm in prison and nothing's happening. And I think it begs the question this morning is what happens when we find our dreams dashed and unfulfilled? Every one of us have dreams, right? We dream as uh, young people that we're going to be firemen or police officers or distance runners. Or uh, maybe, uh, maybe we dream that we're going to get married or, uh, hey, have the fairy tale life that we've always had or that, we're, that we want to have. But what happens when dreams get dashed? And I think this is a story not about kind of the interpretation of what Joseph is going through, but in the midst of this, he says something interesting. He said, dreams are for God. God reminds us and, and tells us that, hey, we need to come back to him and search for meaning from him. And that's exactly what Joseph is doing is, is we talked last week that, hey, in the midst of all of what's going on in life, we can just still trust and hope in God. That even in the midst of prison, we can still do what God is asking us to do. But can you imagine what Joseph was thinking in this? It says in this chapter that Joseph had been there for a really long time. That he'd been in charge of the prison. And these two guys come down and man, he's grasping at anything going, I need to get out of here. God is doing something. What am I supposed to be doing? And so I'm going to do whatever I can. And so he keeps pointing back to God. Hey, this is what God's doing. Can you imagine maybe every morning that as he's spending time with God that he's sitting there going, God, where, where are you? What is going on? If you remember that Joseph's great-grandfather was Abraham, and Abraham was, was given a given a promise that, man, it would be that his kingdom would, I'm sorry, that his descendants would be vaster than the stars in the sky. And Joseph is a part of that. And now God is working in Joseph's life. And Joseph knows something is supposed to be going on, but it's not happening. I think sometimes we're like that when we have our dreams and we have, we have our plans that we have for our lives and they don't go the way that we want them to. What happens? Do we begin to blame God and go, man, you've left me. I can't believe that you would do this to me, God. We wallow in our own self-pity. Sometimes we don't look at the surroundings around us and go, okay, what could I be doing? I think this section of Scripture really forces us to look at what's going on in our own lives right now. When we find ourselves kind of going, I can't do what I normally do, things are changed a little bit, you should see how weird it is only looking at three faces right now as everybody is helping me. I mean, it's weird. Lights in my eyes. But the whole point is taking a step back and going, God, what is great about this? And there's lots to be thankful for. And I, and I want to dive into more about not what could we be doing while we're in this situation, but who Jesus is. You see, as we move in and, and we look at, God, what are you doing in this moment of prison? What could we be doing through and seeing what Jesus has already done for us? Every week we've been going and looking a little bit of, uh, into a little bit of uh, Isaiah, and Isaiah 53.10 says this. 
It says, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. The whole point is not that we look at our own stuff, but we kind of turn towards, we don't kind of, we turn towards God and we say, all right, God, what's your plan? Where are you going with all of this? Because we can absolutely tell God, this is what I want you to do, but it might not happen that way. Which brings us to the point of going, then where's our hope? In the moment of having to be in a prison or in the moment of when our dreams don't go the way that we want them to. Can we look to Jesus and know that he is the one that ultimately gives us reunion and redemption? In that moment, can we see that we can trust that God is still working to reconcile ourselves to him and to others? Or do we want to tell God, no, this is what I want you to do for me? See, I think I would much rather trust what God is doing in the sense of reunion and redemption. I think about the Garden of Gethsemane and what does God say, what does Jesus say to God? He says, I, I know that I'm going to have to go through terrible things. And it's going to be difficult. But God, it's not about what I want. It's about what you want. In fact, actually, Jesus, we've been looking at the 16 things that Jesus is kind of like Joseph in this. And, and uh, one of the things today is, is this, and uh, Ross will pull it on the screen right here, I believe. But there's two things that Jesus does and is kind of like. And the first one is this is that Jesus embraces God's purpose even though it brings him intense physical harm. And secondly, Jesus is the instrument that God uses at the hand of Gentiles to bless his people. In the midst of all the things that are going on, we can have hope because Christ has already laid the foundation for us. He went through the most immense pain to pay our penalty so that we can have a right relationship with God and with others. And so where does that leave us? Does that leave us in, in the future going, okay, great, that's awesome, God, thanks for your hope that you give or, or those things. But I think that leaves us in, in the idea that, man, our foundation can be found in Jesus. And then when we're at home stuck on watching church in, through YouTube or Facebook and, and not being with the people we love or not having the freedom that we would like to just to go wherever we want to, kind of maybe forces me to realize that where is my hope? If Jesus is the one that is maybe my ultimate dream or he's the dream fulfiller that we start to realize that, man, maybe where I've been pointing my dreams towards are all the wrong things. As I was thinking about this reunion and redemption, uh, a story just popped out to me in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And this is probably one of my favorite stories, and you've heard it over from me before. But I, I want to reiterate it again. It is uh, the woman caught in adultery. And what happens is, is that I'm sure that she never dreamed that this is where she would be in life. 
Most people don't wake up and go, this is where I'm going to find myself. I'm going to find myself caught in adultery. I don't think anybody dreams that. And sometimes when we, when we do have dreams, sometimes man, we're knocked off course because something happens to us. Maybe it's forced upon us or maybe it's just our own sins that just keep on creeping in. But this lady is found in adultery and everybody brings her to be stoned at this wall and all the teachers and the Pharisees around there are saying, hey, Jesus, teach us. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap Jesus so that they could use something against them. But Jesus stooped down and started writing something and he said this, he says, fine, Here's the deal. If you are without sin, then you can throw the first stone. And so as he's kneeling down and as he's writing these things, everybody starts walking away because they realize that, wait a second, we all have sinned. And so then after a while, he then looks up to her and he says, is there anybody here left to condemn you? And she says, no, they've all gone. And he looks at her straight in the face and he says something that I think is incredibly interesting. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Could you imagine that moment in redemption? That she was just saved from herself. The dreams that had been dashed or the dreams that aren't being realized in that moment the things that maybe took them away from the things that God was asking them to do. He's encouraging her to say, I still absolutely love you. And in that moment where she's against the wall, she's all alone. She's by herself. Nobody nobody is there to protect her. Nobody is there to save her. And ultimately, Jesus says this. I still love you. I'm still with you, still walking with you, but please go and sin no more. We don't know what happens to this lady's life after this. We don't know what really truly is going on with her life afterwards. Maybe she went back to the guy. I, I would assume that, hey, wait a second. No, that's, that's not even where it's at. See, I think Jesus does that for us. Jesus takes our dreams, and because of what he's done at the Garden of Gethsemane, and and last last week we talked about Jesus doing the will of God. Because here's what literally happens in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, and it says this. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. It goes on to say, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. The thing is, it's not about having our dreams realized, but actually going, God, I want to have redemption through you and be saved through you so that I can be the masterpiece you've called me to be. It's not about simply going, God, give me what I want. It's about going, God, what do you want for my life? I want to walk in it. 
I want to follow it. And so in the midst of like what we talked about last week, in the midst of being forced into these things, we cannot let our current circumstances dictate our present character. And what we do then is we go, God, I want your character first. I want to be your masterpiece. I want you to tell me what to be doing. I don't want to be lost anymore. Every single week we've been playing these videos of cardboard testimonies. And these videos are what God has done for people. And it's their testimonies of going, this is what God is doing in my life. That is, that is the idea that I don't want my dreams anymore because my dreams automatically took me to a place where I didn't want to be. And so now I want the life of Christ and I want him to work through me and in me. And so we're going to watch this video together, but here's the deal. Remember this, is we're asking you guys to be a part of this. We're asking you guys to do something like this come Easter time so that you can share your story because here's the deal. It's God's life we want, not our own. So let's watch that video together. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.